today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. offended you and you say oh, I want them to get offended uh, you offend a person and then they want to give you a negative prophecy <laughs> that is the idea of this sense of malice that's in the world and so recognizing malice is this settled disposition of anger towards others that really wants to see them hurt. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives so we can be our heads and feet. Do you struggle with unforgiveness? Have you ever wished to hurt someone because they hurt you first? In today's message, Pastor Ed explains that whenever we want to exact revenge on another person in order to hurt them, We're not acting in a Christ-like manner. Malice or any action with intent to harm is not like our Savior. Jesus loves even when we disappoint Him in our sin, when we do not represent Him well, or even when we deny that He exists altogether. God calls us to love like Him and to be kind even when we are mistreated. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Human love is more, well, that's, that's a beautiful person. I'm going to love them. I really like them. You know, they're nice, they're kind. I feel drawn to them. And so that's a human love. God's love is something that originates in Him. And He loves people not because they're worthy of His love. Not because they're the kindest or most beautiful or smartest. Simply because God is who he is in himself. And so what he is expecting of us is that we have a type of love that loves people not because they deserve it or are worthy of it or we're especially attracted to them because of some qualities that they may have. No, we... Our love makes them valuable in our sight. Just like God's love for us makes us valuable in His sight. The quality of love that God expects from us is this love from a pure heart. It is God-like. You know when you come into the family of God, when you first get saved, everybody is so good. I mean, you're just in love with the church. Sermons are wonderful. Music is great. Ushers do a tremendous job. Sunday school class, you can't get enough of it, on and on. But then you hang out with them a little while, and all of a sudden something happens. You begin to see feet of clay. You begin to see flaws and faults and weaknesses and all of that. And what God is expecting us at those moments is, remember how I loved you? Well, you're to love them. Remember how I've been gracious with you? Well, God actually teaches us on the journey how to love. That's what Paul tells us in the book of Thessalonians, where he says, Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. 
Our commitment to God is expressed by our commitment to others. Our love for God is expressed by our love for others. Oh, you say, Pastor, that's a tall order. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I have to live with. You don't know what's happened. Well, Peter anticipates that. And he tells us that we were created to love. With that capacity inside. When you were born again, God put inside of you a new nature that has an aversion towards sin. You can't sin the way you once did. You can't say the things, do the things, act the way you once did. Because inside you just know it's not right. You have this inner sense of right and wrong. Well, you also have in your heart as a believer, as a Christian, this new nature. And this is how he describes it. He describes it, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth... That means being born again. For you have been born again of an imperishable seed. What he's saying is this. Your new birth is something that's eternal. That's going to last forever and ever and ever. If you endure to the end. If you keep on following Christ. You live forever. And everything we see in this world will one day crumble and die. He makes a contrast between the perishable seed and the imperishable seed. And, and what he's saying when he, he does that is he's saying that when a perishable seed is planted, that plant dies. When animals have children, when they have little animals, what happens is they, they die. Eventually they die. The imperishable seed that God's put in your heart makes you, in a sense, imperishable. It's going to live on, it's going to last forever and ever and ever. And so the idea is that we were created to love. And then what he does is he reaches back into the book of Isaiah. As he goes back into the book of Isaiah, he quotes... He quotes from Isaiah the prophet in verses 24 to 25. It says, All men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. What he's doing is not obvious to the 21st century reader, but it was obvious to his readers. He was making a comparison that... The love of this world diminishes, decays, and dies. Someone loves someone madly, and then they fall just in mad with them. <laughs> love diminishes. But God's love is a very, very different type of love. It's, very, it's supernatural, and it lasts forever. The grass in the field... The sun comes up and it withers. A flower may be beautiful and stand out. And you look at that flower in the field. But that flower is going to fade. I'm going to ask you a critical question now, men. How many got your wives flowers for Valentine's? All right, how many of those bouquets are still 
healthy and look great. The flowers wither. What God is saying in his word is the type of love that he gives us is eternal. It's everlasting. It's his type of love. He deposits it in our hearts. And as born again Christians, that love sustains us. And that love remains with us even into eternity. The love that's in the church should be very different than the love that's in the world. And what he's asking us to do is to recognize that even though it's the most difficult type of love to have, our new nature was made to do that. That's the engine on the inside. It's an engine that has that speed and has that ability and has that power to love God's way. Now, John the Apostle writes in his book, in 1 John, and I want to use a message translation. He said, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. What Peter is saying is that when we're born again, when we are a new creation in Christ, God teaches us how to love the way he loves. He's given us that capacity. He's given us that new birth that has that type of characteristic. And then he goes on and he tells us how we practically can do it. What's the way that we demonstrate that love? He told us, first of all, we're commanded to do it because we're called. You have to love. It's a command. You were made to do that. As one of his children, being born again, God put in you the ability to do that. And then he moves on and he says, here's the way. The way to demonstrate that everlasting love, verses 1 to 3 in the second chapter. He tells us there's something we have to change. When you get saved, you're not entirely sanctified. I remember I had a roommate who was in Bible college. His name was Joe. Joe got into a theology that said that he had reached entire sanctification. He was holy as holy could be. And I reminded Joe, I said, well, you're roommate, Joe. We know how you live, Joe. You're not, you're not there yet. Holiness is a progression. It's a, it's a process. It takes a lifetime. We should be going in the right direction. But he says, there's some things you've got to put off. So there's something you have to put off. It's the old ways, the old nature. So we must put off the old nature. And he really uses language that's reminiscent of a baptism service. When early Christians were baptized... When they came out of the waters of baptism, they would give them a brand new white robe. It spoke of the purity of their lives. It spoke of how they were to live. And what he is saying is, you've got to take off the soiled garment, and you've got to put on the new garment. And then he begins to describe the old garment. He says, okay, first of all, put off, get rid of malice. What is malice? It's the desire to hurt someone. 
It's a desire to get even with someone. It's a settled disposition of anger that wants to hurt and harm other people. Someone's offended you, and you say, I want them to get offended. Uh, You offend a person, and then they want to give you a negative prophecy. (laughs) That is the idea of this sense of malice that's in the world. And so, recognizing malice is this settled disposition of anger towards others that really wants to see them hurt. Then he goes on and says, deceit. All of these relate to our relationship with one another. Deceit. That's a desire to harm people through trickery. It's the idea of laying bait for someone. So what you do is you have one agenda under the table, and then you put another agenda on top of the table that's inconsistent with the agenda under the table. And you use it for selfish means. The idea of being deceitful, uh, deceptive, cunning, to ensnare another person. Then he goes on and uses the term hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Well, in this text, in the context, it means this. Someone who conceals their real motives. Someone who meets you with a face that's different from their heart, with words that are different from their feelings. Peter said, these are real things. These are character flaws. These are sins that you have to put off if you're going to have to build unity because they'll keep you from building community and unity and love in the body of Christ. Then he goes on to mention envy. Now, envy is not what we think of it in the English language today. The biblical idea of envy is this. It's not only that you want what someone else has, it's you don't want them to have what they have. And you're upset. Because maybe they're blessed, maybe they're used, maybe they're prosperous. And when I was reading the research, it says that oftentimes in Christian organizations and in non-for-profit organizations, this is such a common trait, envy where people have a, uh, an envious attitude. That means that when another person is blessed, you can't rejoice with them. That suffocates your relationship to God. All of these things are toxins, poisons to our soul that can cripple our relationship with other believers that hinder us from experiencing God's love in our life and being a channel of His love to others. Then the last one he has is slander. Now, one writer said it this way. Satan is a chef that cooks up this meal. Satan is the father of lies. Slander is destroying another person's character. It's diminishing their virtues and their strengths. It's putting a dark cloud over who they are. Now, these things describe what we have to put off. We can't go around assassinating other people's character. 
That describes things that must be taken off the believer's life. Now, those things will trip us up and keep us from drawing close and walking with God as we ought. And so Peter says, get rid of those things because you'll be at spiritual risk and this is what you do and this is how you do it. There's some things that we must put off in our old nature and there's other things we must take in. Then he describes it in verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babes crave the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's, That's beautiful. What happens is as you begin to hunger for God's word, God's word nourishes you spiritually. It nourishes our our minds, our souls, our spirit man, and we grow. We need that spiritual milk to grow. And so what Peter is saying is, have a deep desire for the milk of the word. And it's just the pure milk, or the idea of unadulterated milk of the word. Sometimes, I think we all ought to listen to sermons. I do that all the time. I love listening to preaching and sermons. But more important, and, and that's important to do. Don't misunderstand me. But simply getting into the book and let the book get into you. See, the book was given to us for more than just information. It was given to us for transformation. When we read this book, changes take place in our life. God speaks to us. In your study notes, I put a quote by F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer said, and he was one of the great Bible teachers of the last century, a great devotional writer. His writings still sell very well and inspire people. F.B. Meyer said, it is more important to read the word than pray, but if you read the word, you will pray. Now I'm paraphrasing what he said. The reason is, it's more important for us to hear God than for us always to be speaking. When we hear God and we hear his word, he could chisel away at those things that are not right in our lives. He can refine us. A pastor was visiting one of his congregants, a Christian woman, and she was very frustrated with her Christian walk. Very disappointed. She was angry and upset because she wasn't making the progress that she really wanted to make in her walk with God. And so she began to tell the pastor about her frustration and how she was upset and how she wasn't making progress and she just felt terrible about the whole thing. And so he asked her a very simple question. Do you study the Bible? Oh yes, pastor, I do. In fact, every couple of weeks I open up my Bible and I'll just spend some time in, maybe an hour or two hours, and just study it. Well, he says... How often do you do it? Well, sometimes I study it more than others. I might study it, and then a couple of weeks later, I'll go into it and get it again. And there happened to be a baby in the house, and the baby was crying. And he said, can I ask you a question? If you fed your baby today, and you fed him on a timely fashion, you gave him the milk, and then afterwards you took care of him again, but you decided for a couple of days because you were busy not to feed him, what would happen? Well, he'd get sick, maybe even die. Okay, we need the spiritual milk of God's word if we're going to grow. If we're going to get rid of the old life and embrace the new life, if we're going to manifest that 
love that God wants us to manifest, there has to be a significant hunger in our heart for the teaching of Scripture, for the Word of God. That's what he was saying. You were born again by what? That imperishable seed, that Word of God that gave you a brand new life as that gospel message was received and you repented of sins and you believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and you gave your life to him, you were born again. It's the same word that gave you new birth that sustains your spiritual life all through the journey. And so Peter is saying, in order for the church, in order for believers to have an everlasting love, they have to put off the old nature that wants to creep back, that wants to take a root in our lives. You have to put that off. And then you have to have an earnest desire for spiritual food. I love the way Jerry Bridges says it. Jerry Bridges is a, a devotional writer, and uh, he said, as we search the scriptures, we must allow them to search us, to sit in judgment upon our character and our conduct, to open the book, to hear God's voice, to let him speak to you. The Bible is not given so much for our information, but for our transformation. Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts, said this important word. And again, I'm going to use the message translation. He says, now I'm turning you over to God, our marvelous God, whose gracious word can make you into what he wants you to be and give you everything you could possibly need in this community of holy friends. Wow. This book has the power to make you what God wants you to be. If you let it search your heart, if you meditate on it, if like a child, you know when a child cries when it's hungry? It could be three in the morning. <laughs> could be in the afternoon. Oh, whatever. That, that, that child wants to eat. Not going to stop crying until he eats. There should be that deep hunger for God's word all through the journey. Even if you have heard hundreds and thousands of sermons, you still need to love the Word of God. Even if you've read the book through and through and through again, let it go through and through you and change you. This ongoing desire for the Word that changes our life. There should be something very different about believers about Christians. They should have this quality of an everlasting love that's different. Different than the social clubs around, than the community around, than the world we live in. It's a God type of love. It reflects who He is because you and I have His DNA in our lives. The book of 1 Peter reminds us that persecution is a part of each Christian's life. Jesus himself faced great opposition in his time, yet he never let it sway his position. As Pastor Ed has reminded us here on Building in Faith Radio, we can learn from Jesus' example and even draw strength from him when the world is turning against us. Jesus is our rock and our comforter and will always be with us. 
Pastor Ed Jones will continue teaching through the book of 1 Peter on the next edition of Building in Faith. But you can find more messages right now by visiting our website, buildinginfaithradio.com. Be sure to visit our homepage as well, where you will be greeted by a daily scripture and some exciting events coming up for us here at Faith Assembly. We know how important finding a home church is to the Christian walk. And if you've not yet found that for your own life, why not join us? We'd be honored to meet you and share a time of worship and Bible study with you. We gather together each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and again on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Location information and directions are on our website. That address again is buildinginfaithradio.com. As our time with you comes to a close today, we'd like to remind you that you are a child of God and you are valuable to Him. He is there for you always and will answer when you call on Him. May your journey with God be blessed. Pastor Ed will return soon for more from the book of 1 Peter on the next edition of Building in Faith. Your word restores and heals, transforms, rebuilds, and it makes a way that we can be building in faith, building in faith. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. Absolutely everyone. The stakes of leadership are sky high. Everyone has influence. Come to the Global Leadership Summit on August 10th and 11th and learn skills to help you lead transformation in your community. The summit features leaders like Bill Hybels, Sheryl Sandberg, Andy Stanley, and more. Experience the summit at Faith Assembly, Casper Kill Campus, Poughkeepsie, August 10th and 11th. Register at willowcreek.com summit and use the priority code radio, willowcreek.com summit.